Good morning. It's really exciting to see everybody here this morning. Uh, I'd like to welcome you again and congratulate you one more time as we wrap up our Wise Choices series this morning. I want to congratulate you on making the wise choice to get yourself here and strategically using this Sunday morning as a chance to connect with God and to connect with other Christians, to learn more about Jesus or at least remember more about Jesus so that we can all strategically build our lives on his teachings. Uh, if you are following along in the bulletins, there's a lot of scriptures we're going to kind of just hint at this morning because my goal is to kind of just whet your appetite for more and more of Jesus this week. So we're going to cover a lot of territory and not just walk through every single scripture. Please take these home even if you don't fill in the blanks and, and walk through those scriptures alone. But we are here to celebrate Jesus. This is Passion Week. It starts off this morning um, or with, um, as we remember Palm Sunday. Uh, that's already been mentioned a couple of times. We've got special directions. And there's a reason this is such an important time. It, it was a moment in time where Jesus had the spotlight put on him more than ever before. We know more about the Holy Week. We more, know more about Passion Week than we know of everything else in the rest of his life. We know what he did almost all day long every day. We know what he said, what he did, where he was, who he was with. It's, it's an amazing thing. But let's point, let's point the spotlight on Jesus as we kick this off right now. I just want to remind you some of the things that Jesus said. A lot of people still believe that Jesus was just a guy in history that said some good things. And he did say some good things. And if all you did was just look at the good things he said, like some, some good things that Buddha and some other people have said, his good things were good. But he also said things like this, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And he said things like, whoever builds their life on my teaching is wise, like a man who digs down and builds his house on a foundation of rock. And when the storms come and the floods rise, that house will stand because of the foundation that it's on. And the people that loved Jesus and followed him, they took what he said so seriously and, and they understood how radical it was so much that they wrote things like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this dark world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. They understand that this idea that we've been exploring behind the curtain, the idea that God is calling us into a completely different way of looking at life was bigger than anything we can get to on our own as human beings. It's why Z4G for this whole series has been focusing on the question, is it holy? Not just is it okay, is it permissible, is it, is it, uh, is it on a list that says I can't do this, but is this the best possible thing I can do? And one of the things that Jesus says and makes really clear at the end of the Beatitudes, we've been exploring the Beatitudes a lot, and, um, but he makes it clear that we're supposed to be these two things, salt and light. You may not see a connection right this minute, but I think you will at the end, and I, I hope this makes sense. Really quick, let's fast forward through. By the way, there's a, a series that starts tonight that digs into these way deeper in a whole new practical thing. This is for adults, and this, all the other stuff for kids and teens of all ages is still going, but just a plug for that. But here's some of the things Jesus said. He said that God specifically blesses those who need him and who need others and who know that they need them. 
He said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. He also talks about that God blesses those who mourn, especially those who have been around him enough that they start to grieve the things that grieve his heart. He blesses those who crave righteousness. He blesses those who show mercy the way they've been shown mercy. He blesses those who completely commit to him. He blesses those who give their lives to make peace. And a deeper peace, a peace that Jesus himself said the world cannot give. A peace that's based on unity. A peace that reflects the triune nature of God, that, 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 which we can just never get our heads around. This whole time we've been trying to keep um, our focus together and make it as practical as possible. And we've used some ideas from Dr. Stephen Covey. And I want to remind you of the last of his seven habits of highly effective people one more time this morning. And that's this. We've got to sharpen the saw. And again, spotlight on Jesus. That's Dr. Covey. I recommend his work, but spotlight on Jesus. Jesus said something very similar. Sharpen the saw to Dr. Covey means never, never get to the spot where you think you understand it all. Never allow yourself to stop learning. Never get to the spot where you think I've got this down especially in spiritual areas. Always keep looking for more. And Jesus Christ said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. And the, 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 I don't want to get all geek Greeky on you this morning, but I, I, I do Greek Geeky. I said that backwards. Anyhow, here's the point. That, that sense that we translate in English isn't as clear. It means someone who keeps doing those things. So it, 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 what Jesus is saying is, Whoever keeps asking will find answers. Whoever keeps seeking is going to find stuff that other people won't find. Whoever keeps knocking is going to find some things that open to them that won't be open to people who don't keep knocking. We've got to stay on this quest together. We've got to keep going and pressing in and more and more. Even Jesus' prayer for unity that we looked at last week in John 17, even his prayer for unity was intentional like this. Jesus said, I pray that they may be one, Father, just as you and I are one. Again, it's a supernatural kind of unity that we just can't even really get. We don't really even understand it, let alone be able to create it on our own. But he says, I pray that so that... They will believe that you sent me. And then he prays it again. I pray that they may be one, Father, just as you and I are one, so that they might know that you sent me. And what he's telling us is that the, thing, the idea that we work together, that all God's people everywhere work together in such a way that we reflect the unity of the Godhead. When we do that, that's going to attract people. It's going to put the spotlight on God in a way that nothing else could. Make them actually give him a chance. It's going to make them want to believe in him. And when we do that, and when they come into our, our group at all, when they come into our presence, when they see you as an individual at work or at school or anywhere else, they're going to experience something with you, and they're going to go, oh, that's what that's about. That's what that knowing is about. It's, it's beyond believing. You actually, you get it. You've experienced it. You really understand. So as we walk into the rest of the stuff this morning, I want you to say this thing out loud with me, and then we're going to move on. This is just a basic fundamental truth. In all these blessings Jesus gives us, I want you to remember this. Let's say this together. God blesses us so we can bless others. 
Biblical wisdom always has strategy involved, and God's strategy is he's going to give us stuff so that we can use that stuff to bless others. Whether that's literally stuff or talents or time, networks, it doesn't matter. Everything that we have, he's giving us with a responsibility attached. And having said that, let's read the next couple verses right after the Beatitudes. He finishes up about the peacemakers, and then he goes right into this. Let's read this together. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. How many have ever heard this passage before? Raise your hand. Let me see. You've heard this? Okay, awesome. If you've heard this, you've probably heard the first couple things I'm going to say right with it and it's it's a good reason it's because it's true it's exactly what this means it's what these things but I'm going to add a couple thoughts maybe you haven't so please don't tune me out and go oh I've heard this one okay there's more there's more coming okay here we go first off salt salt does uh, flavor things you've heard this before okay we're supposed to make the world better we're supposed to make relationships better we're supposed to make the workplace better we're supposed to make everything better that's one of our jobs salt preserves before there was refrigeration salt was used to keep good stuff good and don't let it go bad and that's a big part of our job as the salt of the earth is to make sure that the good stuff that's already out there in the world doesn't go bad. It's still going to stay around for a while. How many have heard those two ideas before? Raise your hand. You, you got that? Awesome. Please don't forget them. That's true. But there's one more thing that really has to do with Palm Sunday and this that I really want you to get this morning. And that's this. Salt creates a craving it's no accident that a lot of restaurants and bars and a bunch of other places that when you first walk through their doors, they hand you something salty. Part of that is because it tastes good. Part of that is because that's, it's just being kind or something like that. Part of it is they want you to start craving stuff. Now I'm really thirsty. Now I really want something to eat. Now I, I, that, do you understand what I'm saying? Like they know what they're doing. They're, they're in, you know, they know what they're doing. And as salt, here is our primary job. We're trying to help people crave Jesus. That is our job. That is why he gives us the blessings he gives us. That's why he, give, he wants us to act as one. That's all of these things that we've been swimming through the last several weeks. This is it. This is why. He wants us, when people see us, they go, I want more of what they've got. I need that. I'll have what he's having. You know what I'm saying? That's what it's about. And our job as the salt of the earth is constantly to be doing everything we can in a strategic way, in a methodical, intentional way, so that people will crave Jesus. He says, you are the light of the world. Here's some ideas I know you've heard, and they're good. Don't forget them. Okay? Light reveals. It illuminates. It guides you. 
In David wrote in the Psalms that God's word is a lamp to his feet, a light to his path. And we've got to have God in our lives. We've got to have Jesus. We've got to have each other so that we can see clearly, so that we can have any sense of wisdom at all, that we actually have a chance of making good, wise decisions as we go through life. How many have heard this idea already? Again, please don't forget that. It's huge. But here's the huge idea that I, I, you can't miss this morning that ties in with Palm Sunday, and this is the fresh one. Listen, light directs attention. There's nothing like a spotlight. You don't have to say anything. You have a light, dark room, boom, here comes a spotlight, everybody looks. You don't have to say, hey, stop looking at your phones, stop looking at everything else, look at this thing that we're going to shine a light on. You shine a light, boom, there it is. Or a laser pointer, have you ever seen those things? By the way, this is not what this means. Don't be the kid with the flashlight or the kid with the laser pointer. You know what I'm saying? If you know the truth, don't irritate people with it. Don't be that person, okay? That's not what I'm trying to say. But when we are intentionally, and when we are intentionally putting the attention on Jesus, we are shining a light on Jesus. We are doing everything we can to strategically point out who Jesus is. By what we say, what we do, how we live, how we treat each other, how we do stuff in our families, everything. When we're doing that, it puts that focus on him and then people can see him more clearly. That is our job as the light of the world is to put a spotlight on Jesus. And there is no time that I can see, as I study the scriptures at least, where Jesus was as intentional about using kind of a metaphor like I just did of, of the stage kind of idea uh, as, as he was in this moment of Palm Sunday. Because here's what he did. He put some planning into this. He knew all these prophecies about what the Messiah was going to do and some things he'd say and people would say to him. He knew that there was this thing about riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. He knew a whole bunch of stuff. And he went to a lot of trouble for that first Palm Sunday to make sure that this stuff happened. I personally believe that he put a lot more strategy in that it, it, a lot of the stories in the Bible, it kind of seems it like as, as you read it, that they're just kind of happening. I, I personally believe there was a lot more intention going on behind the scenes. But this is one where you actually see him going, hey, there's a guy with a don two donkeys and he lives down that way. Go get that guy. Go talk to him. And if he messes with you, say the Lord needs the donkey. Bring the donkey and the, like he, go talk to this guy. He's got a room, a great big room that's an upper room that we're going to be able to use and we're going to have the Passover meal together. He's making this big plan. And not only is he arranging the ride that, Dan, that, that the prophets had, had prophesied that the Messiah would come on, he also, he's doing so many layers of stuff. I love that Mark mentioned the Passover today. Jesus came in through the gate that the Passover lambs came through on the same day the Passover lambs were walked into Jerusalem. Do you think that's an accident? Nope. And not only that, Jesus is not only there to celebrate the Passover just like everybody else, but there was something going on. We're not sure why they did this, but the whole waving palm branches is a call back to the Feast of Tabernacles that it had happened several weeks before that. But there was something about the tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles, is, its ultimate fulfillment is the idea that God would come to live with us. He would tabernacle, he would camp out among us. 
There was something about the whole palm branches thing. Nobody really knows how that tied in, where, why they had those so handy on the day of Palm Sunday, which was all about Passover. But they knew this was what they were supposed to be doing when Jesus came in. There was something, he was the, the Messiah. He was also the Passover lamb. He's also God with us. This scene has been set. There is a spotlight. There is intentionality. There is stuff, layers and layers of stuff going on. I put all four references in, in the bulletin insert, and I hope you look. I, I'd love to see you read all four versions. This is one of the few version, or few stories that all four Gospels tell. There's a lot of, lot, of, lot of stuff between Matthew, Mark, and Luke that kind of tell the same stories. There's some that John tells us the same of these guys. There's very few that where they all four say the same story. This is one of them that signals that this is very important. You with me on this? This is a big deal, right? Palm Sunday is not a big deal just because there's green flowers, this is a big thing. This kicks off this Passion Week, this Holy Week. This is what makes all of history matter. This is the center of the whole thing. This is, this is the kickoff. Today is the kickoff of the stuff that makes life worth living and that promises eternal life on the other side of life. The stuff that Jesus is doing, uh, is setting up this stage for, the reason he's turning on all the stage lights and making sure the spotlight's on him on this day is because he wants us to pay attention to every other thing that's happening at this moment pay attention pay attention pay attention this is huge and it's working when they shouted Hosanna we sang that this morning Hosanna is a, is a term and I've said this many times I, I, I think a lot of people don't know it you guys are probably sick of hearing it but I just want to say it make sure Hosanna is not just a, a cool thing like woohoo Hosanna means two different things at the same time it means save us and it also means you're the only one who can. It's kind of like if you're on a long road trip with small children. Have you ever done this? Anybody? Okay. You're on a long road trip with small children and you're, you're exhausted and they can't stand being in that seatbelt any longer and everybody's hungry and, and, and just antsy. And then one of the kids goes, McDonald's. And it's just one word, right? It's just one word. And it just means the name of a restaurant or somebody's last name. And yet it means so much more. Right? It means relief. It means a playland. It means fast, quick food. It means a break where the kids, you know what I'm saying? It means all that at the same time. We don't have a lot of words that mean stuff like that in English. But this is what Hosea, they knew what they were saying. When they say, Hosanna, they're saying, save us. And they're also getting in that moment, not as much as they should have. But they're getting, hey, you know what? You're the, you're the guy who can save us. You're the only one who can. But another reason they were paying so close attention to Jesus on this day was because of all the stuff that was happening right around that. And all the other gospel writers, if you look at the chapter right before the ones I named, you're going to see some other cool stuff. For example, John tells us, that right before this happened was when Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. John chapter 11. This is the eternal, like, every, every, kid, every kid in Sunday school's favorite verse to, to, to memorize, because depending on the version, it's either two or three words. So everybody can get that. Then Jesus wept, or Jesus wept. Boom, got it. 
Again, I'm trying to whet your appetite for more of Jesus. I'd like to get you this week to dig deeper than you've ever done. I'm pretty sure you've heard this story. But just think about, why was he crying? Was he that sad about this guy that he's about to raise back from the dead? Was he crying because everybody was mad at him? Was he crying because he had to wait so long and and let him die so that he'd have the opportunity to bring him back to life? Was he crying because he realized within another week or two he was going to have to die? Was he thinking back about all the death, the very existence of death itself was because of sin? Was he grieving that? Was it tears of joy? Finally, I get to raise somebody back to life. My friends, was he happy? All it tells us is is he wept. But the spotlight is on Jesus in this moment because he raised somebody from the dead. Right? And I'd love for you to just explore that, to pray about that this week. Go back and read that story again and go, what is it about that? And even more than that, I want you to think, I know, I know there's people in this room right now that feel like Lazarus and his family felt when Jesus came that day. Maybe they saw his tears and maybe they didn't. But I know there's people in this room right now that you're going, I know Jesus could help me if he wanted to, but I don't see him helping me much right now. I know that Jesus has the power to do really great things. For Lazarus, it was Jesus could have easily healed him, even from a distance. And he was his friend. So what's up with that? Why do strangers get healed and not me? Some of you have some huge questions like that. Let me tell you something. Jesus is at the door of your grave right now. My challenge to you this morning is I'm pretty sure he's about to do something. You just need to be paying attention. Don't give up on him. If you need to, be like Lazarus' sister Mary and go up there and just pound on his chest and say, where were you? What are you doing? He can handle it. He can handle your grief. He can handle your anger and the biggest questions you've ever had. Take it to him. He's probably crying too. Ask him why he's crying. I don't know. I'm just trying to put the spotlight on Jesus this morning. But people were watching because he brought a guy back to life. Luke tells us that right about the same time that was the same time that Jesus also restored Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wasn't physically dead, but his lifestyle and the choices he had made and the the relationships he had made and his guilt and everybody else's hatred about him and all of that had completely destroyed his life. And in this moment, Jesus is able to restore Zacchaeus as well. I think there's a picture of Zacchaeus up there as well. I, hopefully that's a happier one than that one. There he is. Look at him up there in that tree. I love that. So here, here's the thing. I beg you anything, there's somebody in this room this morning that feels like Zacchaeus felt. Listen carefully. Have you ever wanted to see more of Jesus and all the Jesus people were in your way? Have you, have you ever been distracted by all the people that are supposedly following Jesus and they're the specific reason you can't see Jesus? You know what? There's no excuse for anything that any of us do that distracts people from seeing Jesus. This whole thing, what I'm trying to tell you is our whole job is to make people crave Jesus and shine the spotlight on him. But guess what? Your job is to get there regardless. Climb a tree. Do you know what I'm saying? Find a way to get there. 
And also, maybe it's your guilt. Maybe it's your own shame. Maybe you know that the reason that everybody hates you is because you did something wrong, genuinely wrong, like Zacchaeus. I'm not judging anybody this morning. I'm just trying to tell you a story and point a spotlight at Jesus. Maybe there's something in your life that you just don't think Jesus would even come to your house anymore because of that. Let me tell you, he came to his house and he changed everything. And I challenge you this morning to, to reread that story, as familiar as that is. You used to sing the song about it. Do that and say, you know what? Jesus, show me something fresh this week. What do you need me to do? What do you need me to change? What do you need me to fix? Watch him restore your whole life. You see, Lazarus' sister, Mary, and she's always been somebody that, that uh, was willing to, every time we see her, she's someone who's willing to sit at Jesus' feet. Somebody who gets who he is. Somebody who gets how important it is to invest her time in listening to him. But this is the moment this is the moment right before John tells us that after he brought Lazarus back to the dead and right before this whole big parade thing that we're celebrating this morning was when she anointed his feet. And they, when they gave her a hard time, Jesus said, you know what? This is a beautiful thing. She's preparing me for my burial. He loves it. You know what? Maybe God is calling you into some sort of a deeper sacrifice or a deeper sense of worship than you've ever experienced before. Maybe God's calling you to just throw more out in front of him. Sing louder. Maybe raise your hands more. Maybe wave a flag. Maybe sit back down because that's how you worship better. And not be afraid of people judging you for sitting back down. I don't know. Maybe you're just really God is calling you to worship him more and be more extravagant in your connection with him. Maybe he's asking you to give more, to sacrifice more as you give your resources or your time. I don't know, but may, everybody else is telling you this is so extravagant. You can't, that, no, you don't, he doesn't expect that. that. That's, no, that's, you don't, you don't, no, you're, but you know. If you're that person this morning, I want you to th think about Mary. I want you to be that. I want you to say, okay, you know what? I don't care. I know I've got to give all of this to God. And I'm going to give it all to him. All my praise, all my stuff, all my whatever. You just be extravagant and watch him bless you. Watch his joy. Watch him stick up for you. Watch him bless you even more so that you can bless him and bless others even more. So back to our story. As Jesus rises, rides into Jerusalem... Every part of this scene, again, is, is so perfectly crafted to put the spotlight on him. Everything is there. Everything is ready to go. And Jesus is about to leverage this moment. Because he's got their spot, eyes on him, all eyes are on him, he's going to spend an entire week doing stuff that just absolutely blows their minds. And I don't care how many times you've read through these passages, listened through them on audiobooks, heard sermons about them, heard Sunday school lessons about them. I, I dare you this week to go back through these stories, the things Jesus said this week, the things Jesus taught this week, the things Jesus did this whole week, including, including the whole passion thing on Good Friday and beyond when, when he actually gave his life for us. Reread the prayers he prayed. Reread the last stories he told. Reread these ideas. Watch and see if he doesn't reveal something more to you. Because when we put the spotlight on him, 
he reveals more. When we keep asking, when we keep seeking, when we keep knocking, you're going to see more. And there's stuff on the other side of that door. There's stuff on there for each one of us that we're not going to see unless we press in. The very next thing Jesus did, the very next thing after this parade was cleanse the temple. Have you heard this one as well? Come on, I know you've heard this story. You've heard Jesus cleanse it. There we go. I love that story. I wish I could retell it to you. Here's, here's all I have time for this morning other than, again, please go read it. Please, please, please. And let, let God's spirit just walk you through this, you and him. Okay? But don't miss this. The thing Jesus was so mad about was the temple was supposed to be a place where people connected with God. And the very place that they had taken over to make that market, as corrupt as it was, and you can bet he was mad about how corrupt it was, but they had taken over the court of the Gentiles, which was the place where people who were outsiders were supposed to feel welcome and to just kind of watch and see what was going on. They'd taken that over and turned it into a market and then made it corrupt on top of that. And that's why Jesus was so mad. He's like, this is a place to pray. It's a place to connect with God. And it's a place to help people learn how to crave God more. It's a place to shine a spotlight on God. And you guys have just, you're, you're doing the exact opposite. You're driving them away. You've made it a place where they feel distant from God, where they feel cheated by God. And there's nothing there at all that looks interesting. I'm not judging you guys today. I'm just saying let's all, as we go into this and we see the heart of Jesus, as we see his heart, let's make sure that all of us are saying, Jesus, if there's anything you need to cleanse out of me, go for it. Make that whip. Knock over those tables. You're probably wondering what the butterflies are all about. There's butterflies scattered around. There's probably not enough for every single person. But this is part of the, one of the art projects that we're going to be doing. Um, uh, it, the, thank you for all the artists that have already turned stuff in. It's not too late. You can turn some in today. Uh, uh, we'd love to, to display those. We celebrate the resurrection. But it's part of that. But this is where you guys can help. And I hope it's much more meaningful than that. Listen, listen, this is what this is. Every time I ever preach, I always try to make it as practical as possible. I want to give you something to do on the other side. I don't want to waste your time. We don't have enough time to waste. So I am asking you very specifically this morning, like I always do, to make some specific choices of things that you need to surrender to Jesus. Let me give you just a couple of ideas of how you could do that. One is maybe you've got huge questions or anger or doubt or fear like Lazarus and his family had. You can surrender to that to him this morning. And if you've got something that you're willing to say, Jesus, Hosanna. You are the only one who can save me, and I'm asking you to save me from this. Here is that fear that keeps me trapped. Here is that doubt. Here is that question. You know what? I don't even need the answer. I'm going to give you this question. You can write that on the little, on the back of the butterfly, the white thing. Just leave it. Somebody's, or they're going to collect it at the back, actually. As you leave, you're going to give it to those ladies back there with the baskets. Okay? You just write, I'm giving it to you. Here it is. Save me from this. 
Maybe you, like Lazarus, maybe there's a real thing you need to surrender, some real change you need to make. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time or give it back. You can, Jesus, here's my life. Here's that bad habit. Here's that thing that I've been doing for forever. Here's my pride. Here's my frustration with God's people. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to surrender it to you. Jesus, Hosanna, save me from this thing that's between us. You're the only one who can't. Write it on the back. That's what's on your butterfly. It could be anything. It could be absolutely anything. And if you don't want to use the butterfly, that's fine. But I'm going to give you a moment as the band starts to come forward. And there's just going to be silence in here. And I'd like you to at least pray about it. At least let the Holy Spirit work in your heart for a second and say, "What what do you need Jesus to save you from this morning? What do you need to throw at his feet? What do you need to wave in the air and say, Jesus... You are the only one who can save me from this. Save me. I'm I'm giving it to you.